We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to do a little review before we read the Bible. But you will remember that Paul and Barnabas went on a mission trip. They established churches in city after city after city. They had many people saved. Uh, they, they discipled those that were saved. They trained leaders. Uh, they established churches. It was a great missionary church, a great missionary trip. When, when they got back to Antioch, they called the people together, and when they did, uh, they reported to them what God had done. In other words, not what Paul and Barnabas had done, but what God had done. And, and then they found out that uh, there were some Judaizers from Jerusalem that had gone to many of those churches and emphasized the fact that uh, they were glad they had trusted Jesus. But to be a complete Christian, and by the way, if you had anything to grace, you've messed it up. Amen. But uh, they, they were saying, well, it's good that you've trusted Jesus. But in, in order to be a real Christian, you, you need to be circumcised. Uh, you need to keep the law, and on and on. And Paul got them together, and he straightened them out. Amen. And thank, thank God for that first great church meeting. And after they had been to Antioch for a while, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, Paul said, uh, okay, let's, let's go on a second missionary trip. And uh, <clears throat> when they did, uh, you remember on the first trip that John Mark had gone with them, but he quit. I mean, things got hot. He got homesick or whatever, uh, but he quit. And the Bible tells us that uh, Barnabas was determined to take John Mark with him on the second trip. And uh, by the way, Barnabas, his real name was Jose. Barnabas was his nickname, son of encouragement. And uh, Paul said, no way, Jose, okay? <laughs> In other words, he quit on the first missionary journey, and I, I don't have time for a quitter and so forth. And uh, the contention between the two of them, and you couldn't imagine there being contention between Paul and uh, Barnabas, but it, it was contentious. And uh, the bottom line is uh, we find two missionary teams. Uh, Barnabas took John Mark with him, and Paul chose to take Silas with him. And I, I think, Brother Hooks, that's where Independent Baptist started. Paul said, you go your way and I'll go my way, okay? And they both evidently had a, 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 a great ministry. And I, I want us to begin reading with uh, a verse 7. Verse 7 in Acts chapter 16. 
And if you don't mind, would you just please stand to honor God's word as I read, okay? Verse 7 says, And they were coming to Mysia. They essayed to go into Bithynia. No, no, no. Let me begin with the verse 6. I'm sorry. Now, when they had gone through Pergia and the regions of Galatia, and these next few words are kind of strange words, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, I'm glad he said in Asia because we don't ever want to quit preaching the word of God. Amen. And they came to Mysia, and they essayed to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored, and that's Luke this writing the book of Acts, and he had joined the team. We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came straight course to Samothrakia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from this to Philippi, which is the chief city of the part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in the city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women that were there. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto things which were spoken of God. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come into the house and abide there. And she constrained us. Dear Lord, I thank you for the wonderful things that we read in your word. Thank you for the Bible, the infallible and errant inspired word of God. Now, Lord, I, I pray that you'd help me as I try to preach the word tonight. Uh, I, I thank God for these dear people. And I'd, I'd really like to be a blessing for them, to them. But I know the only way I could do that would be that you would bless and use me. Uh, more and more every day I realize the reality of John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then the very insightful thought, without me, you can do nothing. So, Lord, I realize tonight I am totally dependent upon you. Bless the people. 
as I try to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the book of Revelation, we find Jesus saying these words. I open doors and no man can close them. I close doors and no man can open them. In other words, God is sovereign in opening and closing doors. And tonight, I'd like to speak to you just on the subject of open. Now, I know that's a hard word to spell if you're keeping notes and anything, but just, just open. And uh, let, let's look at some things that we find where God opened different things. And number one, I want us to think about Paul. He had an open mind. Uh, can you imagine he's planning to go back to Asia? And uh, then he, and I, I'm not sure how he knew this, but evidently Paul did not have such a mindset that he, he decided, I'm going, I know where I'm going, and uh, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do or not to do and so forth. Paul had an open mind. And he had to be a little bit frustrated, right? I mean, he thinks he's going to Asia. And the Holy Ghost, and I don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul, but, but he did, and he told him, no, not Asia. Okay, Mysia, no, not there. And then they went down to Troas, and aren't we glad that he went to Troas? But the bottom line is, Paul had an open mind. Let me ask you tonight. When you come to church, do you come with an open mind? In other words, are you like Samuel when he said, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Paul had an open mind. Now, there's many people. They're born-again Christians. They love God. But they have written out what they want to do for the rest of their life, and they've given that to God and say, Now, God, this is your will, isn't it? Uh Paul had an open mind. But wouldn't it be wonderful if all of God's people, teenagers, children, young couples, middle-aged people, even old people, had an open mind? Paul had an open mind. He didn't get to go to Asia. He didn't get to go to Mysia. But he had an open mind. And when he got down to Troas, he met some wonderful people. Uh, one of the people that he met was a man by the name of Luke. You think about that, I've often thought about it. Uh, you remember when Paul had the thorn in the flesh? And you don't know what it is, and I don't know what it is, okay? We've all got our opinions, but that's all they are is opinions. But when uh, he prayed three times, God, remove this, and God did not remove it, but he did tell him, my grace is sufficient for you. And think what happened. God gave Paul a private physician to travel with him. Is God good to his people or not? Does God make provisions for us and help us? Certainly he does. Uh, at, at Troas, he met Luke. He already met Timothy on this second missionary journey. And they, they formed a, a great team. So, Paul had an open mind. 
Uh, I, I wish God's people had an open mind. Uh, we are in a very strange place as far as world evangelization is concerned. Uh, people are giving more money for missions than they've ever given before. I mean, it, it is unbelievable how much money people are giving to missions. But we're having fewer missionaries than we ever had. Uh, I've been with BIMI for over 65 years. And uh, there were a time when we would have as many as 100 new missionaries every year. Uh, last year, we had 14 new missionaries. Uh, we lost 45 missionaries by attrition. Wouldn't it be great if some of you teenagers, if some of you young married couples, if some of you middle-aged people would have an open mind and let God speak to you about where God wants you to go. In other words, rather than having a agenda that he was not going to be bothered with, I know what I'm going to do, I know where I'm going. No, no, Paul had an open mind. And then we found that God gave Paul an open door. Uh, he tried to go to Asia. No, the, God, the Holy Spirit forbid him. He tried to go to Mysia, and that didn't work. So he went down to Troas, and some great things happened there. Look at verse 10. And after he had, uh, no, no, verse 9, I'm sorry. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now, they didn't have the written word of God, so uh, many of the things that God wanted to tell them, he showed it to them by, by visions. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. He opened the door to Europe for the apostle Paul to go there and preach the gospel. An open door to go to Europe. Many years ago, 1962, I, I was pastoring in Providence, Kentucky, a great metropolitan area of 3,500 people. Uh, it had every kind of church. I was a Southern Baptist at that time. There were two other Southern Baptist churches there were Pentecostal churches, there were Methodist churches, Presbyterian. I mean, just, just think about 3,500 people. Uh, I, I wrote an article for our state paper, the Western Recorder, and uh, it was against some of the things that we as Southern Baptists were doing. And about a month after that was published, uh, I got a letter from a missionary in Japan. His name was Donald Mobley. And... Uh, in the, in the letter, and he said, uh, Brother Sisk, I have no idea who you are. I don't know anything about you. I've never met you. I've never heard of you. But he said, I, I could not help but think. When I read that article in the Western Recorder, that you had a heart for missions. And then he said, my wife and I are in Akita, Japan. That's a state. There are 3.5 million people here. As far as I know, Brother says, we're the only witnesses in this. And he went on to tell about some things that were happening in his life, 
some of the problems they were having and so forth. But the last question of that letter, asked this, he asked this, Brother Seth, what would keep you from coming to Japan? Well, that's pretty nosy, amen. Uh, I'm pastoring in a needy city. There's 3,500 people here. I'm in a key to Japan. There are 3.5 million people here. What would keep you from coming to Japan? Brother Hooks, I couldn't find a good reason. I read that letter to my, my church there in Providence, and I told them to pray about it. About a month after that, I went to an evangelistic conference in Louisville, Kentucky, and Dr. Baker Cawthon preached a great message on the untold millions. And he told about city after city, country after country, island after island, where millions of people were living and nobody preaching the gospel to them. And I sat there that night, listened to Dr. Cawthon, and I began to think, okay, I'll be doing more for missions. Uh, I, I ought to be giving more for missions. I ought to have my church give more. I ought to encourage other churches to give more. But I knew pretty soon that wasn't what God was talking my heart about. So that night, they didn't even give an invitation, okay? But that night, I went back to my hotel room, the Brown Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky. And I was rooming with a preacher that's about 20 years older than me. At, at that time, I was in my 20s. And uh, when he went to sleep, we were in the same motel room, and I, I knew he went to sleep. You say, okay, brother, sis, how in the world do you know he went to sleep? I have never roomed with a preacher that didn't snore. <laughs> and Archie was snoring and snoring, and I knew he was asleep. And I got my Bible, and I, I went into the restroom. And on my face before God, I said, Dear God, I don't know how in the world I can go to Japan. Now, I knew I couldn't go to Japan with the Southern Baptist Convention. In order to do that, you had to go to the seminaries, and they were so rotten, I knew I wasn't going to the seminary. And then I, 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 in, with, before God on my face, I said, dear God, if you will open the doors, I don't know how I can go to Japan, but if you'll open the doors, I'll go. Hey, by the way, God is good at opening doors. I open doors and no man can close them. I close doors and no man can open them. In other words, God opened the door for Paul to go to Macedonia. That was one of the chief cities, the city of Philippi, one of the chief cities of Macedonia. Paul and Silas was there in Luke, and uh, on the Sabbath day, and by the way, if a city had as many as 10 Jewish men, they would have a synagogue. But evidently, there were not many Jewish people in Philippi, so they didn't have a synagogue. And uh, uh, Paul and Silas went out by the riverside and they found a women's prayer meeting. Now remember, 
he saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. But the first group he got to, there were no men there. He's a bunch of women. And uh, Paul sat down with those women and he conversed with them. In other words, Paul opened the word of God to those ladies. Now, they were all Jewish ladies, okay? Lydia was not a Jew. She was converted to Judaism. But uh, they, they were praying to God. And then, can you imagine Paul sitting there listening to them praying? And, uh, and all of a sudden, he began to open the word of God. You say, now, now wait a minute, what is this? The New Testament wasn't written then. Guess who was going to write most of it? Paul. So uh, this was pre-New Testament area. And Paul opened the word of God to them. Can you imagine Paul sitting there, and he didn't get up and preach at them or anything. But he, he simply said, hey, ladies, uh, I, I appreciate what you're doing. But um, uh, let, let's, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Jesus was God's son. He was born of a virgin. And probably Paul talked about several things that later he was going to write in the Bible. So he's opening to them the word of God. And he, and he said to those ladies, and by the way, uh, do you know that all of us are sinners? And Paul would say later, as he wrote the New Testament, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And he began to let, get, get them know, hey, it, it's good that you're praying. It's good that you're here together. But just think about Jesus. And think about yourself. And, and Paul would include himself. We have all sinned against God. And uh, then he would say something like this. And the Bible says, or Paul is going to write it, and he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then he would say, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Paul's writing. So he's opening to them the, the, the word of God. In other words, I'm glad you're out here praying, but you need to be saved. And then he would go through the Romans road. He, he's going to write it later, but, but he would go through it. We've all seen come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Think about it. What a great verse, amen. The wages of sin is death. Uh, wages, that's what we deserve. And uh, uh, occasionally I'll, I'll meet someone that says to me, well, all I want is what I deserve. By the way, you don't want what you deserve. The wages of sin is death. We have all sinned 
And if we got what we deserve, we would all spend eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. But then he said, but the gift of God. Now, mercy is God keeping from us what we deserve. Are you glad God does not give us what we deserve? Amen. Now, if we got what we deserve, we'd spend eternity separated from him. But the Bible tells us that the gift of God, and that's grace. Mercy is God keeping from us what we deserve. Grace is God giving to us what we do not and could not deserve. The wonderful grace of God. God commendeth his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sin. For scarcely will a man die for those that are good and so forth. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can't you imagine those women sitting there and thinking? And then eventually he would say to them, by the way, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So Paul opened the word of God to them. And thank God, one day somebody came to witness to you at your house. One day a preacher preached the word of God from the pulpit. One day in one way or another, somebody opened the word of God and you came to realize that you were lost and on your way to hell and you could not save yourself. And guess what happens when that happened? The Bible tells us that God opened the heart of Lydia. Huh? He uh, Lydia sat there, a seller of purple, evidently a very wealthy lady. And God opened her heart. And by the way, that's what happened to you one day. I went to a Youth for Christ meeting when I was 16 years old. That night, God opened the Word of God to me. And he opened my heart. You say, well, once God begins to work on you like that, you can't resist it. One of the five points of Calvinism is irresistible grace. In other words, when God begins to work on your heart, there's no way to resist it. Well, the Bible says, Stephen was preaching, and he said, you do like your fathers always resist the Holy Ghost. There's no such thing as irresistible grace. By the way, the other four points are bad too, amen. <laughs> God opened Lydia's heart. And uh, she listened to Paul. She heard him. And that's good. We need to hear the word of God. But she didn't just hear. She listened. Have any of you men ever been sitting at the breakfast table thinking about 101 things you need to do that day and your wife is talking? I remember years ago, I was thinking about all the things I had to do at the office and so forth as we ate breakfast. And Virginia was talking. 
And she said, uh, all of a sudden, she stopped. And she said, Don, are you listening? I said, oh, yeah, I'm listening. Oh, well, what did I say? Well, you said a lot of things, amen. <laughs> I was hearing, but I wasn't listening. You've done that a lot of times. You hear, but you don't listen. And sometimes you hear and you listen, but you don't obey. God opened Lydia's heart. And Lydia listened. She heard, she listened, and she obeyed. She trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she was saved. And not only was she saved, but evidently, she began to witness to all of her household, and probably it was a large number of people that worked for Lydia. And they all got saved, and they got baptized. And uh, every once in a while, somebody would say to me, Brother Hook, why do Baptists make such a big deal about baptism? Well, the answer is because the Bible does. Uh, the disciples all got baptized. Jesus himself got baptized. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved, and they all got baptized. And you say, how in the world would you baptize 3,000 people in one day? I don't know, but I'd like to have that problem. I mean, if that many people got saved. Uh, the Philippian jailer got saved. He got baptized. Ethiopian eunuch got saved. He got baptized. <laughs> Hey, baptism is important. Uh, it does nothing for you as far as your salvation is concerned. Uh, you're not saved by being baptized. Thank God there was at least one person that we know that went to heaven that didn't get baptized. And that was the thief on the cross. I was preaching on the radio in Muhlenberg County in Kentucky one time. After I got through preaching, the station manager said, uh, Brother says, uh, there's a lady that would like to talk to you. And I thought, that's nice. Some lady heard the message, and she was wanted to give me a comment. And I picked up the phone, and I said, this is Don says. And she said, I wish you dumb Baptists would read your Bible sometime. I said, well, we do occasionally, amen. <laughs> and, and then she said, the Bible does not say that Jesus that the thief went to heaven. The Bible says he went to paradise. I said, well, Jesus said, this day shall thou be with me in paradise. And if Jesus is there, that's heaven. Amen. <laughs> now, baptism does nothing as far as your salvation is concerned. We're saved by grace, plus nothing, minus nothing. You add anything to grace, and you messed it up. But it is a work of obedience. I've had people say to me, well, you know, the, the thief on the cross, he didn't get baptized, and so, uh, but he went to heaven, and uh, I, I don't have to be baptized. You're right. If you are a thief on the cross, <laughs> and you get saved, you don't have to be baptized. But if you are saved by the grace of God, 
In order to obey the Lord, you need to be baptized. Jesus commanded it, okay? Think about it, the great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever come command you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. God opened the door for Paul to go into Macedonia, Europe. And aren't we glad? That's where we got the gospel from, from Europe to here. They opened, and then Paul opened the Bible and began to tell those ladies how to get saved. And God opened the heart of Lydia. And that's what happened when you got saved. A personal worker, a Sunday school teacher, a preacher, somebody opened the word of God, told you about salvation, and God opened your heart. Now, you could have resisted that, but thank God you didn't. God, op Paul opened the Bible. And then God opened Lydia's heart. And then here's a good thing. Look, look at it again, okay? And the Bible says, begin with verse 12, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in the city abiding certain days. And on this Sabbath, we went out into the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women. Now, now they didn't get up, stand up, and begin to preach all those days. But they just began to talk to him. Paul gave him the word of God. And then verse 14 says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. Aren't you glad for that? The first open heart surgery, amen? God opened her heart. Then here's the amazing thing. Look at verse 15 very closely. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, now by this time, uh, Paul's team was Timothy. By this time, it was Luke, Silas, and so forth. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Think about this. Lydia opened her house. You say, what does that mean? Lydia got saved. And uh, all of a sudden she realized, hey, uh, I don't own anything anymore. Wouldn't it be great if once we have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that we would realize that we really do not own anything? Or we might have a title to our car. Uh, we may have our clothes paid for. 
But by the way, guess who gave us all of those? That was God that did that. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from him, and there's no shadow of doubt, no shadow of turning. Everything I have. Wouldn't it be great? By the way, I think immediately Lydia understood the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. What does that mean? That means I'm a steward, not an owner. And it does not matter what you have tonight. You remember when Jesus said to his disciples, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust are corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust is corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now, what's Jesus saying? You're not supposed to own a house. Uh, you're, you're not supposed to have a retirement fund. No. But he's saying, get your priorities right. Don't be overly concerned about earthly, temporal things. But be heavily concerned about spiritual, eternal things. By the way, anything that I call mine, anything materialistic thinking that I call mine, anything bad can happen to it. I mean, you know, you, you, you buy a new suit, you buy a new dress, the first thing you know, it shrinks. <laughs> or you expand, okay? You buy a new automobile, it begins to depreciate. And if you get a lot of snow and ice like they do in a lot of people, it begins to rust and so forth. And anything bad, anything that I call mine, anything bad can happen to it. Thieves can break through and steal. And by the way, in our time, thieves do not have to break into our house and steal. All they have to do is steal our identity and they can steal us blind. Some of you probably had that happen to you. So in reality, everything that I possess materialistically mine, thank you, anything bad can happen to it. And one day, I'll not have any of it. One day, Jesus is coming. By the way, we won't take anything we have when Jesus comes. Amen. Or one day I'm going to die. And when I die, I'm not taking anything with me. You know, anytime anybody of any wealth at all dies, you know what the question is? I wonder how much he left. And the answer is always the same. He left it all. Somebody's well said, where there's a will, there's a lot of relatives, amen. <laughs> I mean, when we die, we're not going to take anything with us. I never will forget pastoring in Silent Run Baptist Church down in Hopkins County, Kentucky. And uh, it was my first pastor. I began pastoring when I was 21 years old. And We'd have a quartet that'd come for every revival meeting and every homecoming, things like that. And uh, uh, most of the time, I, I enjoyed the quartet. But every time they came, they, they liked to sing this one song. And I tell you, every time I heard them sing it, I got angry. 
Now, I was a new pastor. I was scared to say anything bad about anybody. And, and uh, I, I didn't say anything to him. Now, here's, here's the song. It might be your favorite song. <laughs> but here's the song that they would sing. Lord, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. In the shade of the tree of life that it may ever stand. Where I can just hear the angels sing and shake Jesus' hand. Lord, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Now, that quartet was made up of two brothers and then two men that had married their sisters. So they all four. And they had a construction company. And they built beautiful houses all over western Kentucky. And all four of those men had a beautiful home. And they were singing, Lord, build me just a cabin in the corner of Glory Land. Is that dumb or not? <laughs> uh, Lord, I'm going to live here on the earth, maybe 70, 80, maybe as old as Brother Sisson, 90. <laughs> but in eternity, I just want a cabin. Now, if you like cabins, help yourself. <laughs> My idea of a cabin is a Holiday Inn or a Hampton Inn or something like that. But think about it. And if we're not careful, we'll get our priorities all mixed up. And we'll put so much emphasis on earthly, materialistic things and so little interest in spiritual, eternal things. Don't get too hung up on earthly, temple things. But get totally involved with spiritual, eternal things. Uh, those rewards, it's, and you, you've heard the cliche, it's, a, it's an old cliche, but it's correct. One life to live, trust soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And by the way, whatever you do for the Lord, that will last for eternity. So Lydia opened her house. She came to the realization that nothing really belongs to me. I'm just a steward. I don't own it. God put it in my hand. But one day I'll have to give an account to God for everything that he's done. You think about it. Paul had an open mind. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. God gave him an open door. He didn't allow him to go to Asia like he planned. But he saw this man from Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Then God opened the door for Paul to go to Europe. And that, that was an, an unbelievably great thing that God did for him. And then God opened Lydia's heart and she opened her house. What about you? Uh, do you know the meaning of the word Lord? I was reading one time before Easter, and I was shocked when uh, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to go over to this city, and uh, over there you will find a donkey that is tied up 
and I, I want you to loose him and bring him to me. And if the owners ask you, why are you loosing the donkey? Just say to them, the Lord hath need of him. And uh, they went over. They found this donkey tied up just like Jesus said it would be. And they began to unloose him. And the uh, owners of that donkey came up to him. Oh, what, what are you doing? Uh, the Lord has need of this. Now, I don't know who those donkey owners were. But evidently, they understood the lordship of Jesus. If Jesus needs it, it's his. Lordship. That means I don't own anything. Oh, I have clothes. I have an automobile. I have a house. But it, it's really not mine. God gave it to me. Everything I've got, God gave it to me. By the way, everything you have, God gave it to you. You say, well, you're a preacher. Everything you have might come from God, but I work hard for my money. Sure. And who gave you a job to work? And who provides power of life? In him we live and move and have our being. The open house of Lydia. Everything I have belongs to him. Everything. Let me give you a uh, modern-day scenario of the uh, donkey. Uh, I want you to think for just a minute. Uh, you, you buy a, your dream car. Now, don't worry about money. Maybe a Mercedes-Benz. Uh, for some of you, it'll be a pickup. Amen. Uh, it, it may be a motorcycle. Whatever. whatever. But you, a dream Vehicle, you've always dreamed of owning this particular vehicle. And you buy it. And then uh, one day you take that vehicle to the mall. And it's a brand new vehicle, okay? And since you don't want it scratched up, you don't look for the closest parking spot to the mall. You look at a place where there's no other cars parked. You don't want it to get scratched up. Now, after it gets all scratched up, you'll look for the closest door, amen? But, but you, go, you go in the mall and you shop around for a while, and then you come out and, and you find two men getting in your car. And, uh, and you say, wait, wait a minute, what are you doing? And they say, the Lord has need of this car. And, and what's your reaction? Okay, if the Lord needs it, that's okay. You probably wouldn't do that. You'd call security, you'd call 911. Hey, they're stealing my car. But evidently, those donkey owners knew the meaning of the word Lord. Wouldn't it be great if we did? Their villages, their islands, there are great cities all over the world where they have no gospel witness whatsoever. In Japan, where we were there for many, many years, there were cities of over a million people that did not have one Christian church of any kind. Now, I didn't say they don't have a Bible-believing, fundamental, non-charismatic, you know, on and on. And by the way, I'm all those things, okay? 
No, no, they don't have a witness of anything. Wouldn't it be great tonight if we would have an open mind and let God speak to us? An open mind. An open door. Hey, if you want to serve God, God will open some doors for you. An open Bible. Aren't we glad we have the written word of God today? And by the way, I believe it from the depth of my heart. This Bible is the word of God. And when every morning, and the first thing I do every morning is to open my Bible. And when I open my Bible, I realize God is speaking to me. This is the word of God. We have an open Bible. We have open doors all over the world. God opened the heart of Lydia. And I believe tonight God is opening some hearts. Think about it. In just a minute, Brother Hooks will come and close our meeting. But think about it. Do you know for sure you're saved and going to heaven? Isn't it, isn't it wonderful? One whole book in the Bible, 1 John, was written. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Not hope so, not think so, that you may know. My wife had double knee replacement. Both of us needed it, so I let her go first, okay? <laughs> and she came out real good. She did everything the doctor told her to do as far as rehab. And uh, I would go and visit with her every day at the rehab center. Now, in one day, and uh, the, the receptionist had been changed. There was a new lady there. And, and I didn't stop at the receptionist because I knew where Virginia's room was. And uh, the lady said to me, sir, do you know where you're going? I said, I said oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know where I'm going. I know where Virginia's room is. I come every day to see her. And then I happened to think. And I said, by the way, I know where I'm going when I die. She said, oh, nobody can know that. And I said, ma'am, do you believe the Bible? And she said, oh, yeah, I believe the Bible. By the way, everybody in Tennessee believes the Bible. <laughs> they don't know what's in it, but they believe it, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, I believe the Bible. And, and I read her that verse, these things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And she said, I came by that. I said, it's not for sale. It's a gift of God, eternal life. These things have been written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Think about it very seriously. Aren't we glad that Jesus came to save sin? Aren't we glad for the virgin birth? the impeccable life of Christ, his sacrificial death on Calvary's cross. Question, do you know for sure you're saved 
in going to heaven. This would be a good time to get that settled if you don't. You say, well, I made a profession of faith. No, I didn't ask that. I've been baptized. I didn't ask that. Do you know for sure you're saved and going to heaven? If you have been saved, have you been baptized? Are you following the Lord? Are you witnessing to other people? I prayed tonight. God will give us an open mind. Don't be so determined that you're going to do what you want to do, but let God speak to your heart. I'm glad that God gives us open doors. By the way, we have more open doors today to preach the gospel than any generation of Christians have ever had. We have more people to preach to. We have more trained leaders. We have more money than any other generation. But I think, think about it. How few people are going to the mission field anymore? I think I know the reason why. We can blame schools. We can blame churches. But I think it goes back a little farther than that. I'll give you one illustration. Uh, years ago, I was with Brother Ralston in Lynchburg, Virginia, in the church he started. And we were at a wonderful Christian home. And in that home was a man and a woman and his, their two teenage children. Wonderful people. And while we were eating, the lady said to Brother Austin, Brother Austin, I get very nervous every time we have a mission conference. And Brother Austin inquired as to why she would get nervous. And she said, you know, we have a teenage son and we have a teenage daughter. Both of them are very dedicated Christians. And she said, I'm scared to death that God's going to call one of them to be a missionary. And I don't believe I could stand to see my children go to the mission field. You say, Brother Sisk, is that pretty common? I'm not sure. But it's not very Christian. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I remember days when I knew parents and grandparents would pray that God would send their children to the mission field. And I'm afraid today most parents are praying that God won't send their children to the mission field. By the way, that's the reason that we have Christian colleges, but most of the people there are not studying for ministry. They're studying for something else. Aren't you glad that Paul had an open mind? And aren't you glad that God provided an open door for Paul? And aren't you glad that Paul opened the Bible and taught those ladies? And aren't you glad that God opened Lydia's heart. She was saved and baptized in her whole household. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, 
you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.